the Fed is going to have to do something. And that's when I think ignites the probably the greatest bull market in gold we have ever seen in our lives. Um, it'll be a bull market in base metals, a bull market in energy, a bull market in precious metals, um, and a bear market in bonds and in most of the stock market. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with money manager Michael Pento. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Michael, in which he lays out his forecast for a 30% market correction in Q2 of this year to be then followed by a serious recession, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Michael and I and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. And please just take a minute to support this channel by first liking this video and then clicking the red subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Michael Pento. Right, so you've already taken the conversation in the direction I, I was hoping to bring it next, which is, okay, we've freaked out a lot of people with the first half of this interview, <laughs> we've opened a lot of eyes to the risk factors uh, here in 2022. Um, and geez, we're only four days into the new year here, but we're already sort of talking about some pretty dark days ahead. Um, let's talk about intelligent ways to prepare for what's coming. And you've already given a little bit of a nod, right? You said, well, bonds are probably not the place to be for the higher interest rates coming. Um, and you've got some concerns about the general stock market. But if I can give you the football and ask you to talk about three things, um, how are you currently positioned now? Um, how do you plan to position once a market correction begins to arrive, you gave a little nod to your four horsemen there. Um, and then once the correction plays out, how would you be looking to position from then? Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna predicate what I'm about to say by also reminding you and your audience that I have a 20 point model, which I run every day. There are 20 points that update either daily, weekly, monthly, or quarterly. So they will tell me what to do. I don't, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who sits there, you know, and tells you what I'm going to do next year and, and just doesn't, you know, just sits there with blinders on. I don't put blinders on and not look at the markets. Right. You me. have to react to the reality on the ground at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, ha I have a predicate, which is based on changes in fiscal and monetary policy in the G3 nations. And then I see if the model confirms that scenario to be accurate and playing out. So, so right now, yes, how I'm positioned right now. Just today, I increased an allocation to a, an ETF, which I already had a 10% allocation to, which has exposure to the VIX curve. So I wanna own stocks with a hedge for volatility because I believe volatility will pick up in the next three months. Now, I took that from a 10% position to a 15% position. I have 10% of my portfolio in straight shorts right now. Now I hesitate again also, please understand that I am an active money manager that might change tomorrow. So don't predicate your decision-making on everything I say, but I do have 10% of the portfolio just short right now. But I'm also long utilities low volatility stocks. 
And the reason, and bond and bond, bond proxies. Uh, haven't worked out, by the way, in the last couple of days, but I will remind you that up until January uh, 3rd, they were working very, very well for us. So I don't change my mind because of two days and repositioning on the new year. Listen, let's, let's, just, let's just look at the facts. Let's suppose I was um, someone who believed that economic growth was going to accelerate. Like, I, you know, I listen to most of people on Bloomberg and CNBC. They're, they're always so giddy about the opportunities that lie ahead. Um, of synchronized, every, every uh, opportunity is one of synchronized global growth. So I would want to own disruptor stocks, very high beta stocks, high volatility stocks, very high PE ratio stocks. Well, the that's Kathy not, Wood portfolio. Kathy Wood. I was I wasn't going to mention her name, but if you want, I was going to say the art. You know, the Ark investors. Well, well let's just so you mentioned her. I think she has forty eight positions in her uh, fund. Forty five, forty eight. Well, um, 80% of them were in a bear market not too long ago. Um, I'm not saying what they are now. I didn't do the latest calculation, but CNBC did a, did a big story about you know, almost every one of her stocks was in a bear market. Two of them were down 80%. And um, I think 43 were down at least 20% or more. Um, so, you know, listen, you got to know what to own and when to own it. You just can't, you know, this shotgun approach of owning stocks and bonds, it just doesn't work anymore. Again, because everything is artificial. We're not in a, in a real market. So um, I'm hedged for disinflation in Q1. Again, that it will be morphing to probably deflation in Q2. Then I'll have to sell something and I'll tell you why I have to sell some things. And, and the reason is very clear. In liquidity market freezes, repo market freezes, credit market freezes. When you have an issue like that, all assets go to a um, coefficient of one. So the correlation is one. Everything go, moves together. So even your bond and bond proxies are going to get killed along with the Kathy Wood stock. Yeah. Hey, hey, just, just to clarify that for people, when you say they go to a, a correlation of one in a market, in a liquidity crisis, um, you basically mean everything gets sold. Everything gets sold together, including gold. And I'll, I'll, I want to talk about that too, because in that bucket that I'm investing in now, I believe gold has an opportunity to absolutely go on in a, in a I, I'm going to say, I'd be careful my words, um, a, a robust bull market before the liquidity crunch occurs. Then it will be sold along with everything else. The correlation of, of one applies to everything except for cash, short-term treasuries, shorts, and the US dollar. Those are the only four things that are exempt from what I just said of that correlation to work. Right, and, and those are your four horsemen to hold during a market correct. correction, right? And then after that, on the other side of that, because I believe the Fed has no choice but to allow, that, here's their choices, let me back up. The Fed can either allow the stock market to melt down along with the credit markets to freeze up and watch idly by the greatest depression we've ever seen unfold, that's their first choice, untenable, but that's their first choice. Or they can try to reliquify the system again. 
again, very difficult because we are already, you know, 3.4 times their target on inflation. So I, I still I still believe they have no choice. The, the lesser of the two evils in their mind, because letting letting things actually reconcile, as painful as it may be or will be, is the right thing to do. I mean, allowing people to be able to purchase a home <laughs> that they can no longer afford because home prices are up 20% per annum. And, and letting them come back to a price that can be supported by the free market, not such a bad idea. Uh, letting a, a stock fall that doesn't sell any video games, <laughs> but trades at hundreds of dollars a share. I mean, letting that fall is not such a bad idea. Letting companies that have no damn idea of how to make money go under, you know, keeping buggy whips in business is not a bad idea in the long run. But it's become so so extremely painful because of the years and years and the extent of the artificial manipulation of the Federal Reserve that it's untenable for them to just sit by. I mean, I cannot see the Biden administration or any administration say, hey, this isn't my fault, but I'm going to sit here and let it happen. You know, Hooverville, you know. So uh, the Fed is going to have to do something. And that's when I think ignites the probably the greatest bull market in gold we have ever seen in our lives. Um, it'll be a bull market in base metals, a bull market in energy, a bull market in precious metals, um, and a bear market in bonds and in most of the stock market. So that's, All right. the, that's, and, the, that's and the template. That's the blueprint of what I laid out in 2022. That's awesome. That's exactly the type of, of detail that I know a lot of our viewers hunger for, and I appreciate you being so transparent. I want to just quickly summarize a little bit and then ask a question about that, uh, that huge bull market you expect kind of in the, the last part of this cycle. Um, so I, I was really glad when you talked about your current allocation that you focused on volatility. Um, that's something that um, I've been hearing a lot recently from a lot of the other experts like yourself uh, that I talked to. Um, talked to uh, Grant Williams about it, talked to Steen Jacobson of Saxo Bank, who's making that a really big focus of, of his portfolio for 2022. Um, and volatility, you, the nice part about it is, is you don't need a lot of it to have um, you know, a fair amount of protection against a big downward market move, right? So um, since people have been hearing this in some of these videos, it's, it's sort of a new topic to a lot of them. People are asking, hey, how do I go long volatility and whatnot? And there are okay. ETFs where folks can do that, correct? There are. Um, you, want to, you want to avoid the direct ownership of volatility um, because it's, it's just extremely dangerous. Uh, um, the erosion value of that ETF is terrible. There are ways, if you want to you know, phone me up or send me an email, contact uh, the website, I will send you an ETF that we use as exposure to both VIX futures and the overall market. So you can ride the stock market higher with that hedge of protection with the volatility futures. Okay, great. And I'm going to ask you in a moment about sort of uh, the return to active investing really becoming a much greater necessity going forward where people have been conditioned to 
passively just kind of own the market and do great. And, and it's, I'm sort of doing a pre-commercial for you in the sense of like the, the need to work with an experienced advisor who understands this, I think is now becoming much more essential than maybe it, folks have thought it has been for the past decade. But, but hold on to that for just one second. Um, so right now you're, you're increasing your volatility exposure. You've got a little bit of shorts, um, your long utilities, low volume stocks, uh, some bond and bond equivalents. You said low you're hedged. Stocks. Pardon me? Low volatility stocks, not volatility. Yes, low volatility. So I'm sorry, low volatility stocks. That's what I meant to say. Um, and that you're, you're basically um, hedging for, for disinflation here in Q1, um, but you are get your eye out there that you expect us to potentially tip into deflation in Q2, which is when potentially the, the, the things get interesting. Um, you, get, I'm sorry, I'm second. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just summarizing. So if you want to clarify anything I'm saying, just chime in. No, no I'm just saying before I get net short, that's the big, that's the, that's a big move for me and my clients. So before I do that, I want to make sure that the credit markets are starting to freeze up. So I'll look at LIBOR, LIBOR OIS, I'll look at Amerimor, Amerimor, BSBY spreads, I'll look at the break-even spreads. So I have, a, again, that 20-point model will tell me, hey, the, the people on the inside understand that the credit markets are starting to freeze and they're reacting to it. And that always leads the stock market. And there's a difference between, you know, that knowing, understanding that the credit markets are having a problem, which is a long-term problem for the stock market and, and everyday average correction of, you know, a few percentage points that you don't have to get nervous about. Um, so that's, that'll be my trigger to get me to go net short the portfolio, which I believe, again, won't be until around March, April timeframe. Okay. But as you're saying, the data is going to tell you when it's happening. And that's one of the things I really love and respect about your approach uh, Michael, is it so empirical? Um, okay, and the last point on kind of current positioning is you said you expect gold to do well um, leading up until the market crisis. Um, of course, when the market crisis hits, you think everything's going to get sold. So I just want to go through again your your four horsemen of right. hey, when we're we're in that market drop, this is sort of where you want to be. And you said cash, uh, U.S. Treasuries. I'm assuming probably T bills. Yes, you know, short short term stuff. Um, shorts for anybody that's able to take a short position, you know, presciently before all this happens. What was the fourth one there? U.S. dollar. Okay, U.S. US dollar. And, and US can you dollar, just differentiate I, U.S. dollar versus cash? Um, well, I, I actually can go along the dollar vis-a-vis -vis other foreign currencies. So I, I think people will sell the euro and the Mexican peso and repatriate the currency because the, the dollar is a funding currency. It's, it's used internationally in trades. So as the global economy, anytime, anytime in the past, because I rigorously back test my model, so I know what to do. Anytime we have a global crisis, the funding currencies, which is primarily the dollar and the yen, Japanese yen, will appreciate. And it's just an unwinding of a carry trade. People borrow dollars, they borrow yen, they go invest abroad. And when the global economy starts to weaken, they have to close out those trades. So they have to sell the peso and buy back the dollar that they borrowed, which causes people to hide in you know, a, a stronger, stronger dollar. Now that's been the case in the past. It's not my favorite trade of the four horsemen, but it's something that's always worked very well in the past. And I will try it again. And by the way, I was, <laughs> before I leave the dollar, because Understand when I talk about the dollar, 
it's the dollar against something, Adam. It's not the dollar against gold. It's not the dollar against energy or even a cryptocurrency. It's the dollar against other fiat currencies that I'm talking about. So I went long the dollar in March of 2021, and my clients and I had a very good experience with it. Um, and I was the only person on Wall Street at the time that, that liked the dollar because I understand where this is headed. I understand this is headed for a period of disinflation and then chaos, which usually leads people into closing out that carry trade and running back into the dollar. If Got that it. doesn't work out this time, I'll change. But is, that's not my base case scenario. Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad we sort of stumbled into this insight because uh, very true. We've been very U.S. centric in the conversation to date, but the uh, the issues that we're talking about are not going to be limited to the U.S. And uh, many of these are going to impact globally. And, uh, you know, I've had Brent Johnson on this program um, a few times. Uh, he's got the whole dollar milkshake theory. But but basically, you know, this would be a manifestation of what you know Brent predicts, which is, hey, when, you know, the world gets in trouble, capital tends to flee to the US for a whole bunch of reasons. One for safety, one because you have uh, a, a lot of unwinding of these Euro dollar loans that are going out there that increase demand for dollars. Um, and so uh, that's exactly sort of what Brett's been talking about. So I think it's important for folks to realize, you know, there's a whole international component here that when things get really bad, will cause the US dollar most likely to dramatically appreciate versus most other fiat currencies out there. That will add to you know, the, the problems that gold could experience in a very truncated period of time. Period of time. When you look yeah. back into, you know, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to own gold in January, February of 20 or August of 2008. Any anytime you're in that teeth of that liquidity crisis, people just sell what they can and they go into cash, short-term treasury bills dollar. Um, and the other, of course, the other two will work very well, too. Great. OK, so let's use that gold to then get into the summarize your third list there again, um, where, you know, you expect once the dust settles there to be a really epic bull market in base metals, precious metals, energy. I'm, I'm going to call them hard assets and you can correct me if, if you want to. But, you know, you mentioned that gold got sold with everything in, in August of 2008 when the, the global financial crisis hit. It did, you're right. But then just a few years later, gold was at its all-time high ever, right? So it seems like you're looking to see sort of a repeat of that, right? Can you can you explain why you expect the tangible assets to do so well coming out of all this? Because I'm base, basing my assumption now, because we're doing an interview now in January of 2022, that the reaction function of the Federal Reserve will be, as I discussed earlier, will have to be either A, allow this carnage to unfold before them and destroy the entire, uh, entire generation of people. That's how bad things are going to get. The unemployment rate is going to go to 15, 20%. If they allow the situation to play out, if they allow all the bank loans that have been made on, you know, the CLOs, the collateralized loan obligations, the bank loans that are, it won't have a solvent bank in the country practically. I mean, the, the, listen, the, the, the government right now pays 720% of the revenue that it takes in on uh, debt service, interest payments. Uh, what do we, how high would that go if, if we have another problem with inflation and if we have, you know, the, or, we have a problem with GDP collapsing and the revenue base collapses. So you, you, 
you have to predicate your decisions on history. And I believe that the central bank of the United States cannot sit idly by and watch this happen. They're going to try to reliquify the system once again. And that would lead to intractable inflation. And that is going to be very good for energy. It's going to be very good for gold and good for base metals primarily. And, okay. not, so good, and not so good for bond and bond-like proxies. Got so it, I'll, got it. I'll short the bond market. I'll short the junk bond market. I'll, you know, I'll own gold. I'll own miners. But I'll probably be better for the metal than it will for, be for stocks, though. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so it was that word intractable inflation that I think was the key I was looking for there. Because um, some people would say, hey, look, you know, Fed pumped a ton of money into the system over the past 10 years and stocks did great. And the metals, the precious metals really performed a lot less than people would have expected given all the stimulus that was out there. But it's because inflation wasn't the problem. Now with inflation being the problem, yes, uh, precious metals, big hedge against that. Um, also, stocks don't do very well with intractable inflation because it eats into profit margins, all that type of stuff. So that all makes complete sense. Can I sense. just add one thing? I want to add one very Please do, yeah. Gold does not like it when both inflation and growth are accelerating simultaneously. Just look what happened in, you know, you just mentioned in 2021. Gold didn't have a very good year at all. At all. Um, when you see the economy recovering from COVID being reopened and you have that pushing nominal rates higher and inflation pu pushing nominal rates higher, you have real interest rates that rise instead of fall. And gold hates that. So on the other side of this, you'll see the Fed trying to once again push down nominal interest rates by buying everything out there. They might even have to underwrite municipal bonds like they did and, and, and junk bonds and ETFs again. And they're going to be pushing down on nominal rates at the same time they're creating in, you know, intractable inflation. So real interest rates will be falling, right? So nominal rates will rise, but not anywhere near as fast as inflation, which pushes down real interest rates, which is the, the, you know, the, the best environment for gold you could possibly ask for. All right. Well, look, Michael, um, we're going to have plenty of opportunity to bring you back on this program as we get closer and closer to the action. So if you want to tweak anything you've said here as you get more data, you're going to have lots of opportunity to do that because I want to have you back on as often as I can. Thank you so much for giving us so much time here, especially when you're still recovering from COVID. You've been a real champ soldiering through this. I thank you so much. It's been a great interview. As we wrap it up, I want to ask uh, just two last questions for you. One is beyond everything we've talked about, is there any other advice you have right now for the concerned investor who's just looking to protect and hopefully maybe prudently grow their wealth through this future macro environment we've been talking about here? Well, you know, if you look at what we just talked about for the past uh, almost an hour, um, if you're not so concerned about that upcoming liquidity crisis, what did I mention is going to work both now and later, before and after? You know, if you ever play Wheel of Fortune, before and after. Well, gold is going to work now. It's probably going to work even better as we eat into more of Q1. Might have a, a hiccup somewhere along the way, but then it's going to soar. So if you don't have any precious metals in your physical possession, I would get 5% right away. I wouldn't even wait. But if you want to start adding to miners and to that position a little bit, 
now's not such a bad time. Um, and then if you're a little bit nimble, you can get the timing right in that liquidity crisis. You could really, put, you know, if you do, if I'm right and I, you do get that opportunity and you could really add to your position then. All right. Um, I got a lot of people who are going to be happy to hear that because we have a lot of precious metals. Uh, we'll call them aficionados uh, in our viewership here. Um, all right. Last question is for folks that have really enjoyed this conversation, maybe weren't super familiar with your work beforehand. Um, how can they learn more about you and follow your work? So the website is pentoport.com. You can email me directly at mpento at pentoport.com. The number for the office is 732-772-9500. On my website, you'll see a link to the midweek reality check for $50 a year. You can subscribe to that. You get my thoughts every week. And there actually is a five-week free trial subscription as well. Uh, I just want to I want to say two things for let you go. Number one is um, I'm really glad you had me on the program. You're a superstar, Adam. And I want to apologize to the audience for the, my voice and the coughing. So I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. Just try to stay safe and avoid Omicron as best you can. And the other thing I want to say is that when I when I recommend gold to people, please take the context in that in August of 2020, I went out on all, all the media and said that I was out of gold. So I am not a perma bull on anything. So when I recommend gold or anything that I do, it's because my only motivation is to make me and my clients happy. That's it. All right. Well, great, great clarity, Michael. Um, thanks so much. I will put the URLs up to your website, your email, all that stuff uh, when we edit this. Um, nothing to apologize for. You've done a phenomenal job here. Again, a heroic job, given uh, the fact that you just came down with COVID like, <clears throat> like four or five days Friday, ago. Friday, yeah. Yeah, well, let, let's let you get back to uh, hopefully some hot soup and, uh, and some good rest. And we hope, you're seeing, hope we see you at kind of, you know, firing on all pistons uh, as soon as possible. Um, but thanks so much, Michael. Uh, Mutual Appreciation Society, you're one of my very favorite guys to interview. I really appreciate you coming on to do this. And uh, we'll have you back on again the program soon. Thanks again, Adam. All right, now's the time in the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of Wealthion's endorsed financial advisors here to get their thoughts on what Michael had to say. Um, why don't we start with you guys? John, um, another phenomenal interview. I think a lot of things there that sound very copacetic with your guys' view of the world, but don't let me put words in your mouth. What did you think about Michael's uh, insights there? Yeah, um, very much appreciated his, his commentary, Adam. Um, I would like to say just first off, one of the things we like about Michael so much, and perhaps it's because what it's a standard that we try to hold ourselves to in the work we do at New Harbor Financial Group is he is about as straight talking as you get in this industry. Our industry has so much spin and waffling and, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, beating around the bush. Um, it's refreshing to hear someone like him speak so cleanly, um, you know, pointedly and, and, you know, taking a stand and, and that we really respect in him and, and folks like him that do that. Um, but yeah, he, uh, you know, look no further than his, um, his calling out some of the, the market valuation uh, extremities. Uh, he used the word, we are higher, more highly valued than ever before by a human, humongous amount. Love it. We actually just sent a uh, year-end commentary to our clients. And we, I think, I think we described it as 
higher than ever before by an alarming amount. So, you know, we kind of uh, appreciate his his choice of words there because it is alarming. It is a humongous amount. Um, he 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 pointed out, for example, the market cap to GDP, which is about as as logical as one can get in terms of a way to look at market. Even lay people at home can understand that the market should be bounded in some tethered way to the actual economic activity of, of the economy. And right now that stands at 210% of GDP. The prior all-time high was in the year 2000, right before the tech bubble bust and the, and the NASDAQ dropped over 80%, the S&P over 50%. And that was only 142% of GDP. We are humongously, we'll talk about prices of sales. These are important metrics as he pointed out because it can't be monkeyed with. It can't be financial engineered by buying back shares and things like that, like some of the other price to earnings and other ratios uh, can be. But that 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 says it all. The the alarming degree of overvaluation will matter at some point. Uh, it always does, and that that's I think the key takeaway from his talk. All right. Um, great points, John. Um, and we heard all of that. Your video is a little bit jumpy. I know that there's some winter weather there in Massachusetts where you're located. So um, we'll, we'll keep you here in the conversation for as long as the connection um, maintains. Um, but Mike, I'll, I'll let you add on anything there that, that John said, although I do want to say one thing that really struck me about um, Michael that I think is very much aligned with what John was just saying there is I really like how Michael is so driven by the data. Right where he said, "Look, you know, I wasn't really. I told everybody to get out of gold, you know, back in in August of uh, 2021 or whatever it is." But he said, "I'm now. Yeah, I've, I've looked at the data. I think the situation has changed. I've now changed my view on it, and I'm not singling out gold as a good or bad investment. I'm just saying that that's one where Michael, you know, he's not dogmatic, right? He doesn't basically have you know a particular philosophy that that." he feels he must drive the the portfolio allocation against he really just you know uses his 20 point formula or whatever to inform him on what's the best allocation given where we are right now in time and i think it i think it's very refreshing there because as you guys know there's a lot of people in this space um whether they're tied to the mast like kathy wood of you know big tech or whatever um, he is willing to pivot as the data pivots. So thought that was very interesting. But Mike, what else did you take away? Yeah, Adam, you know, a number of things. Yeah, I, I too love the fact that Mike, Michael talks a lot about data. Valuations are exceedingly extreme. And, you know, there's no getting around that, no matter what else we say. We all game theorize and say, well, we can't fight the Fed. The Fed's not going to let it drop. We still believe in the data, just like just like Michael does. I love the fact that he has metrics that he uses, or a system, or you know, guardrails, so to speak, that guide him on what to do. We have some similar things too. He uses a lot of um, uh, analysis with bonds. He mentions a number of different spreads that he looks at. Uh, we too agree that you can you can get an idea of what's going to happen, oftentimes ahead of time, by watching the bond market. You, know, you could just take a look at one of the popular ETFs that owns junk bonds. And um, you, can, you can often see that start to move. Just a few months ago when the market, the stock market had a very small pullback, it moved about a week or, or so ahead of time. It doesn't really seem to be signaling too much right now, but keep your eye on junk bonds. We agree with that. Um, there's been so much complacency amongst the most historically overvalued stock market of all time. That's what really worries us the most. Everyone is all in on this. You know, and um, 
the buy the dip mantra is just so ingrained now and very few people can think that the market could go, could go down at all. And if it does, it's not going to be more than two, three, four, five percent. And, and frankly, they think it's going to come right back because that's what it always does. And the Fed won't allow it. I, I think that's wrong. Um, in this video, Michael said, don't expect it to come right back. It may not come right back. It might stay down for years. It could stay down for 10 years or more. That's what happened to Japan. Japan topped on the final day, I think it was, of 1989, the last trading day, and never looked back. Never since has, has seen that high. That's a long time. It feels, it feels unsinkable. Um, this is what a bubble feels like. Everyone can see it. It doesn't feel quite right in your belly. You know it's unsustainable, yet nobody really does anything about it because it hasn't hurt anyone for 13 years. So we'd agree with him on that. And you know, lastly, on his allocations, if um, you know, in his in, in his closing remarks, Michael said the one thing that works now and will likely work in the future is gold. We're big believers in gold. We think that people should have exposure to bullion somewhere around 10% of their investable assets. Most of those people we recommend hold that outside of managed accounts with us in, in real physical form. It does, it should work now. It's working now. It's back above 1800. It looks like it wants to break out of this long, long triangle. Um, and if it does, it should make a quick move of a few hundred dollars north of here. So gold works now, looks, looks better short term, should be, should be good long term. And a few other things in there that he mentioned, we're certainly looking closely at too, like volatility, for instance. Uh, he mentions that he's not net short. We're not net short either. Um, and we're looking to take opportunity when we get pullbacks in the market. All right, great. And, and I want to actually dig a little bit more into gold in just a moment um, because of some of the, the new developments you just mentioned there, Mike. But, but very quickly, I, I do want to tug at the volatility thread just a tiny bit here because that's been coming up again and again in a lot of the recent interviews that I've been doing as a good um, hedge uh, against uh, market uh, turmoil going forward from here. Um, we talked to Steen Jacobson. Uh, he mentioned that that's a, a core part of his portfolio. Uh, Michael just mentioned that he increased his exposure to volatility from 10% to 15%. Uh, I think Grant Williams, when I talked to him the other week, um, also mentioned this is an important uh, ingredient to have in a portfolio. Uh, George Gammon has talked about the importance of volatility. He's even invested in Chris Cole's Artemis Capital, which is a, a very much a long volatility fund. Um, and it's one of those things that you don't need a lot of uh, to you know, get an outsized uh, protective effect from if indeed there's a pretty big market drop. So John, if I can just come back to you for just a minute, what's your guys' opinion at New Harbor on volatility right now in this environment? Yeah, Adam, um, so we, we talked about this a little bit uh, in the commentary that we had uh, uh, in, in, in the kind of summation of Steen Jakobsen's video a, a couple weeks ago. And yeah, I mean, um, Look, volatility is one of those things that um, can plot along just complacently for a long time and then suddenly, poof, spike up. It is, it is the ultimate um, you know, kind of indicator of stress in the system. Um, the thing is, is there's very, uh, lim there are very limited ways to, to, for, for most retail investors to, to play a volatility invested. In fact, some of the traded ETFs and things like that, which Michael Pento pointed out, are not really good ways to play uh, volatility uh, because of the inherent flaws of some of the vehicles. Some of the ETFs, for example, have tracking error. 
Um, you know, there is constructs associated with futures markets that most everyday fo folks aren't in tune with. Things um, like um, roll yield, um, depending on whether, I'm gonna throw out a couple technical jargon here just to make my point, whether markets are backward dated or contangoed. Uh, and I intentionally, I'm not gonna explain what those are right now, but point being is there can be some structural aspects of futures markets that can, you know, create a, a, you know, a headwind to an otherwise correct call on what volatility is likely to do. Um, the other point I'll make is that volatility doesn't spike or, or you know, the benefit of being long volatility, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. So for example, um, most oftenly uh, when volatility spikes, the stock market is selling off. So you know, one, can be, one can benefit by being long volatility any number of ways. One way is to reduce stock market exposure you know, the, 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 from what you otherwise might have. Uh, you know, uh, being short the market, not that we're recommending that right now for timing purposes, and, and this is obviously not investment advice for, for any individual, um, being short the market is one way to um, benefit from a, uh, a spike in volatility, because again, markets usually go hand in hand on the downside when volatility is spiking. But conceptually, being long volatility by, by virtue of its many ways of expressing itself, you know, reducing stock market exposure, being short the stock market for those that are inclined to want to be, um, you know, uh, there, there are a lot of different ways. Uh, be, being long uh, uh, put options, for example, because one of the key pricing components to options is implied volatility. When that spikes, the value of those options uh, also expands relative to that volatility. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, good explanation and, and sort of two things. One, I think you did a good job of saying, look, investing in volatility um, maybe actually does make some good sense in this market environment, but it's not something that's simple to do. And you didn't say these words, but I'm going to say them. I think for most people who want to get volatility exposure, probably best to do that working under the guidance of a professional financial advisor who is experienced with the trade-offs that, that John just warned about there. Um, I also, I'll put up a chart here. Um, from the conversation that we had a few weeks back with uh, technical analyst Sven Henrik, um, just to show um, one of the things, you know, Sven tracks volatility closely, specifically he tracks the VIX, uh, which is the predominant index that everybody measures volatility against. And one of the challenges of investing in the VIX is that it, it, it gets compressed for long periods of time. And a huge reason for that is, is you know, people believe there's a lot of intentional selling pressure on the VIX because there's sort of an inverse relationship between uh, the, the VIX rating, uh, the VIX score and uh, you know, the, the S&P basically. Um, and so one way to kind of keep the major indices supported and moving upwards is to suppress VIX. Um, and so basically that just means if you position for higher volatility, you can be waiting a long, long time, right? And you know some of these trades you talked about, tracking error, et cetera, you can lose a lot of money while you're sitting in a volatility position where it's going nowhere. Um, but as Sven's charts here show, when it does break out of those compression wedges, it can break, up tre break out tremendously. And there's big opportunity to make a ton of return in a very short period of time there. Problem is, is nobody you know can predict with complete accuracy when those breakout moments are going to happen. But when we were talking to Sven, he basically said, "Look, you know, 
given what he's seeing uh, in the data, it shows like we are closer to a breakout effect um, than we've been for a while. So anyways, um, long story short, John, you did a good job of saying, yes, it's definitely a worthy component uh, of a portfolio these days, but you got to be smart about it. All right. Well, in wrapping up here, Mike, I want to come quickly back to you uh, about gold um, to get a little bit more detail on what's happening there, because that's a topic we track pretty closely here. And gold uh, has seems to have recovered from its doldrums where it was kind of languishing in the mid 1700s. As we're talking here today, it's at about 1825 an ounce. Um, it's gotten up this high relatively recently and then whacked back down to or below 1800. Uh, but this is yet another you know, recovery again. So what do you think, Mike? Are we seeing the reemergence of some momentum here? Could higher prices be ahead? What do you think? I really think so. We talk a lot about gold on this program. Obviously, a lot of people are very interested in gold, and we're big believers in gold as a as a hedge against money printing madness. It's it's one of the easiest things for most people to buy and hold on to. That's outside of the central banking kind of um, um, system. So I'm looking at a chart of gold right now, and you know, gold has essentially had two very large triangles. Now, the first one peaked out in, in 2011 after a big rise in gold from the early 2000s. And then we went through a long kind of painful bear market, minus 40% into 2000, uh, 2018 or so. Um, and then we started to break out again. It was kind of a stealthy breakout. Nobody expected it. Gold was in the doldrums for a long time down in the 12, 1300 range. All of a sudden, boom, we broke out. And then in, um, August of, of 20. This is post, I guess, post COVID time. We, we peaked out in August at uh, like 2100 an ounce, a new high. And since that time, it's been in a sideways down consolidation, another triangle. Triangles are, are compressions of prices and compressions of energy. And generally, when they break out, they, they make a faster explosive move. This most recent triangle was interesting because there's been two downside breakouts that look like fake outs and they were indeed fake outs. And um, I was thinking that these were shakeouts to shake the loose hands out of gold, which probably happened. But then a, a month or so ago, we had a breakout to the upside, which ended up being a fake out as well. We fell right back into the consolidation. As I look at it right now at around 1820, it's really flirting with the upper side of that triangle again. It really looks like it wants to break out. Michael talked a lot about inflation pressures and that the Fed is going to have to taper. Inflation is finally here. I think we can all see it uh, at the grocery store and at other places. Um, gold will likely do well um, during that time, particularly with the follow-on eventually, which, which will be um, you know, some kind of unleashing of you know, monetary um, stimulus again down the road. Probably won't happen right away. That'll probably only happen after some type of economic crisis, in my view. But right now, there's all this talk about taper. It looks like the FOMC minutes were out today, and, and they seem to indicate that they're, uh, you know, perhaps on, on track to, to, to taper and or raise rates a little bit faster than maybe what was uh, previously thought was going to happen. And so the market's selling off a little bit post FOMC minute. So, you know, that basically agrees with what Michael said as well. But all in all, it looks to me like we might very well be breaking out again to the upside out of this triangle. Very few people expect it, which is 
probably why it's uh, so worth paying attention to. And a technical projection to the upside, if it happens, is somewhere around 24, 2,500 in the next year or so. Wow. Well, that would be pretty amazing. Um, and not that other people aren't calling for that as well. Um, and uh, Mike, I, I know at New Harbor, you guys uh, invest in gold mining stocks. Um, and they are a levered play on the price of gold, meaning if the price of gold goes up substantially, and it seems like you think it might, uh, the miners should go up substantially more than that. Um, and interestingly, you know, they're, they, they are a risky sector, um, uh, which is why I think your guys' approach using hedges is, is very important when investing in the miners. Um, but also, uh, we've seen, again, another preponderance of a lot of the folks that we uh, interview on this channel, zero in on how attractive that industry looks in a way that they haven't seen for decades, basically. Um, and we don't have time to get into the, the details of that here, but if you're interested in learning more about that, um, watch the interview that we recorded last month with the guys at Crescott Capital, specifically the video I did with Tavi Costa. Um, if you haven't seen that, I'll put up a link to it right here so you can watch it. Um, but it goes through an awful lot of charts showing why both gold and silver um, have a lot of price potential appreciation ahead of them, but why the industry is now looking as attractive as it is. It's producing record uh, cash flows. Um, they've got uh, the best balance sheets that they've had in decades. Um, uh, they've, uh, you know, basically just got, again, this sort of, you know, sort of almost perfect storm of, uh, you know, positive triggers uh, that could take the, the, the entire sector higher from here. We'll see if that actually happens or not. But uh, John, again, that that is a sector that you guys are currently positioned in. And I know that you're not very long much else in this market, correct? That's correct, Adam. It's uh, forget what they do and look at the, uh, the stocks, the fundamentals, the cash flow, the uh, healthy um, debt coverage ratios, the value, you know, um, Price earnings multiples, they all look um, very attractive. They look good. MA activity is yeah. beginning to pick back up in that space. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, they, they've, uh, you know, this is a sector that has historically been criticized for being like, um, you know, renegades with their balance sheets. Now they're, you know, very clean balance sheets. The, the cash flow uh, generation, even at current gold prices, is very healthy. In fact, better than most uh, most most companies out there uh, in in the general economy. Uh, and then when you look at <laughs> some of the, the tech stocks that are trading at gazillion multiples on on negative earnings, you know it, they make it, it's it's that much more uh, shocking. Um, so yeah, we, we like the sector. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we don't necessarily even need Michael Pento's prediction of, you know, a, a big market crisis uh, to come into play here or even folks that are worried and rightly so about currency devaluation and whatnot uh, for the mining sector to appreciate a lot from here. Like you said, John, it's almost like an arbitrage, right? It's, it's, it's a, a sector right now that's potentially being unfairly judged or unfairly overlooked. And for all of the macro reasons that Michael and I just talked about, Capital is going to be looking for a better place uh, to be treated, and as you know, Michael Pento just mentioned, he said, "Look, you know, after we get through uh, the turmoil, if there is a market correction here, he thinks tangible assets, particularly the base metals and, and especially the precious metals, are going to do quite well." So, 
you know, we'll continue to keep our eye on the sector here. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's pretty much all the time we have here. So just in wrapping up, folks, um, if you want to see who we're going to be having on this channel in the future, just follow me on Twitter at at Menlo Bear. Um, I share who we're having uh, going to be appearing on the, the program coming up, uh, but I also listen to your suggestions of who else you'd like to have on this program. Um, as always, um, if you're someone who's watching and um, would like to get the advice and, and counsel of a professional financial advisor who thinks like the guests we have on this program, uh, Mike and John and their team in New Harbor, they offer free portfolio reviews uh, to anybody that wants to reach out to them and have one. There's absolutely no obligation to work with them, no commitments at all. They just do it as a public service. To set yourself up with a consultation with one of Wealthion's endorsed financial advisors, just go to Wealthion.com. All right, and don't forget to support this channel and help us get more continued great guests like Michael Pento on here by liking this video and then clicking the red subscribe button below if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And whatever happens from here, we'll be watching and tracking it together. John and Mike, thanks so much for joining me for yet another week. And everybody else, thanks for watching. Thanks, Adam. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Adam, and, and Happy New Year to you and, and all your viewers and listeners. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free, and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.